you have your Bibles, would you go ahead and turn with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. So good to see each and every one of you uh, this evening. So glad that you have chosen to worship uh, with us here at New Hope. Hey, if you're a guest, my name is Jonathan. I serve as one of the pastors here. We're glad that you're here. And the rest of you who aren't guests as well, we're glad that you're here as well. Love to see you. Love to see your face. Mark chapter 6. Hey, so grateful last week for Param and opening up John chapter 6 and uh, the feeding of the 5,000 and so grateful for the, the picture of the feeding of the 5,000 in John chapter 6, given this beautiful picture of Jesus showing that he is the bread of life, that he is the one that gives us life, that he is that person. And so John chapter 6 and Param's passage and Param's sermon was looking at the Sermon on the Mount from the crowd's perspective. Hey, Andy, can you get lights, please? Lights, lights, lights. Nobody hears me. They always forget. They always do so great first service and then second service. They just want to leave y'all not being able to see your Bibles. It's, it's all right. Hey, so, so Scripture is not going to be on the screen, so this is, is important that you do grab a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there should be on the seat back in front of you. Um, Mark chapter 6. But hey, so I want to do the feeding of the 5,000 passage again. We're going to preach that for the second week in a row. But I'm going to preach out of Mark chapter 6 instead of John chapter 6. Because Mark chapter 6 gives us a different perspective on the passage. And I believe that Mark 6 is focusing on what the disciples are seeing and focusing on in the passage as opposed to the crowd. And so the crowd, the passage, this great truth that he is the bread of life, which is still true. But Mark, I believe, is showing us a side of this that I think will be super encouraging uh, to us as we look at this new series that I'm simply calling Kingdom Come. As we talk about a vision series for New Hope, intentionally titled Kingdom Come, to communicate intentionally that our mission in New Hope, our vision for New Hope is not about New Hope, but it's about the kingdom of God, it's about His glory, and we'll see that played out. But I want to use this passage in Mark chapter 6 so we can see this take place. Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 30, we're just going to jump right into it, begins this way. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that he had done and taught. Pause already. Um, where did they return from? Where did they go? What did they do? This is important for us to understand the context, and it's important for us to put ourselves in the mind, if you will, of the disciples and what's going on with this story. Well, if you look back at Mark chapter 6, verse 7, um, let me read. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So, where did they come from? As we come back to chapter 6, verse 30, the apostles returned to Jesus. Where were they? They were out on mission two by two. Now, I want us to see this. I want us to get this. Up until this point, the disciples were followers of Jesus, and they're just following this, this uh, great prophet. They're following the Messiah. They're following this rabbi who's doing these incredible teachings, but also doing these incredible miracles. Well, all of a sudden, Jesus says, hey, I'm going to empower you. You're going to go on mission. You're going to preach, and you're going to do the miracles also. So they went from being bystanders to engaged in the mission, and so they go out on 
mission. And then our passage is that they return. Now, this long section of story right in between is the description of Mark chapter 6 of the beheading of John the Baptist. Now, if you're, some of you I know are doing the one year reading, some of us are doing that together. We see of Matthew, we're reading Matthew in the New Testament right now in that one year reading, and the feeding of the 5,000 story in Matthew was what we read today. And what Matthew made explicit, that Mark doesn't make explicit, but only implies to, is that it was while the disciples were out on mission that John was beheaded. So this is important to help us understand the mindset of the disciples in Mark chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told them all that they had done and taught. Now get this, a few of the disciples of Jesus used to be disciples of John the Baptist. So imagine you're out on mission. It is as cool as can be because you are no longer just watching Jesus do miracles. You are doing the miracles. This is all good. This is exciting. And then you get news that one of your close friends, a prophet, John the Baptist, has been beheaded. All of a sudden, what is all just fun and games until someone gets hurt. Like this mission stuff is great. These miracles are great. But hold on a second. You're telling me that I can be persecuted and can be beheaded for this? Now, the scripture doesn't tell us that they begin to walk away from Jesus, nothing like that. But I am trying to give the visualization, if this were to happen to me, all of a sudden, I might have a little bit of fear. All of a sudden, I might have a little bit of anxiousness. And I believe Jesus perceived this and understood this, because in Mark 6, 31, it says, And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. The disciples came back exhausted. They came back potentially stressed and fearful. They came back excited about all that they had done and seen and taught and what God had done through them. So it wasn't all negative, but the point is they're exhausted. In verse 32, and they went away into a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now, so they get in the boat to get away from the crowd. So they're rowing or sailing, whatever they're doing, to get across to the other side. And it says, that now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Usually you get on a boat to go across the water as a shortcut. You usually do that so you don't have to walk around because it's the faster, quickest way. But for whatever reason, it took them longer. Maybe because they were tired and they were like, look, we're in no hurry. But the point is, the crowd followed them. Verse 34. Now, when he, Jesus, Went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Now, there's some parts of this story that I believe are true that the text just doesn't always give all the details to. So imagine if you're the disciples, you're exhausted, you're tired, you've been told that you're about to go on break, you're told that you're about to get some rest. You just got to get over here to this vacation spot, if you will, and you're going to get some rest. And you pull up and you see all of a sudden there's this big crowd. I'm not excited about that. This guy right here, not excited about that. I'm going on vacation. I'm turning my phone off. I'm not checking my emails. I'm getting away from the crowd. But these disciples get to the other side and they see the crowd. But Jesus has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So what, the, what you going to do, disciples? Not much you can do. But when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away 
and to go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. I love what the disciples do here. They're real Christian-like. I would have done the same thing. I would have gone, look, let's act like we really care about them, and let's go to Jesus. We're like, Jesus, we don't want them to be hungry. We don't want them to do this. And they found a way to try to get rid of them. I firmly believe this is what's going on, trying to get rid of them so that they can just get rid of the crowd. But Jesus turns it on them, and he says, hey, why don't you feed them? And we're going to pause for a second. If you've got a handout or a bulletin, and if you look inside, one side's announcements, the other side's is the sermon notes. And whether you have it or not, you can write this down. But the fill in the blanks is a phrase. They're not individual truths. It's one long phrase we're going to fill in. And the first part is this. Jesus saw the masses. Jesus saw the masses. Meaning, when I say that Jesus saw the masses, masses I, I mean everything that this passage says about it. That Jesus had compassion on them. That he saw them with like, a, like a sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them. He saw the great need for the crowd to what John chapter 6 will communicate to us. That he, this great need to communicate to them that he is the bread of life. That he is the one to which, through whom they can have salvation. That in him is eternal life. And so for him to have compassion and begin to teach them was not just this idea of let's go to, let's go to school and have a class. But he's teaching them and communicating and revealing to them and just showing them that he is the Messiah, that he's teaching them, that he is the greatest preacher of all time, teaching to them, that he had compassion on them. He sees the masses, this great amount of people. And when it comes to specifically the focus of the passage, that these, that these masses of group of people were hungry. Now, we see Jesus do a lot of things, and John chapter 6, that Fromm made so clear last week, is that the feeding of the 5,000, the physical food, was actually a picture of Jesus and spiritual food, right? So the fact that they are physically hungry is a picture that they are spiritually hungry as well. And so his compassion on them was not as much their physical hunger, but their spiritual hunger. And so he, in desire to feed that hunger, the disciples come to him, and they say, hey, let's get rid of the people so that they can eat. And Jesus goes, no, 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 you feed them. You feed them. What, did, what happened? Jesus saw the masses, second blank, fill in the blank, through the man. Jesus saw the masses through the man. Meaning, when Jesus saw the need of the crowd, his solution was to turn to the disciples. Now, I'm reading this story and I'm going, why are you turning to them? What are they going to do? And what do they say? Verse 37, Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat 200 denarii? That's a denarius one day's wages. So 200 wages, days of wages worth of bread to give them something to eat. And then Jesus asked them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. Now, I read this and I'm, I'm going, I, I'm, I'm right there with the disciples. I, I'm getting it. If Jesus were to ask me to feed somebody, I'm going, well, I, I can buy as much food as I have money for. Why? Jesus is really trying to get them to, to see a miraculous thing happening. And I'm going, how would they ever expect to see the miraculous happen? But I, I want us to see something. We'll go back to what we read a minute ago in Mark chapter 6, verse 7. Specifically in verse 8, when he sends them out on mission, he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag. No money in their belts. 
Well, how did these disciples eat while they were on mission? How were they provided for while they were on mission? God miraculously provided for them while they were on mission. So the point is, the disciples had seen Jesus do this before. Maybe not in the multiplication of the bread, but they went out on mission going, I've got no money and got no food. But while they're out on mission, God always provided for them. He miraculously provided for all their needs. So it's not, shouldn't be a big surprise that Jesus now turns to them and expects them to expect that to happen again. And they don't even think of the miraculous. This is honestly why I believe, even though the text doesn't make this explicit, so I can't say for sure, but this is one of the reasons I believe that they were struck with fear. Because when we're on mission and all of a sudden we get struck with fear, we take our eye off the prize, if you will. We take our eye off of Christ and put it on our circumstances. And I think that through that fear, that because of John the Baptist being beheaded and realizing, hey, that could be me too, that all of a sudden they, they had kind of lost faith in themselves. They kind of lost faith in the situation. So when Jesus says, hey, feed 5,000 people, they go, we don't have enough money. Jesus was really, if just being straight, he was going, I was never asking you to buy them food. But Jesus saw the masses through the man. He understood that if he's going to feed this mass amount of people, he's going to do it through the man. Let's keep reading. And he's in uh, verse 38. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifty. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples who then went and set them before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. Here's the phrase. Jesus saw the masses through the man and he equipped the man. He equipped the man. When, we, when Jesus is seeing this mass amount of people and he's looking at them, he understands, now, some of this is just practical, and I'll come back to it in a second, that, the practical aspect of this in a second, but he understood the best way to feed them and the intentional way he was going to feed them was not Jesus feeding them directly, but he's going to feed them through the disciples. This is no different. This is a picture of discipleship. This is a picture of the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The discipleship is a picture in this reality that Christ has passed on to his disciples, you and I, his mission to feed the masses. And so he gives to his disciples. Now, you may go, Pastor Jonathan, I understand that you're trying to make a spiritual connection here. I understand that you're seeing that, hey, you know, Jesus wanted to feed them through the disciples to show the importance of the disciples and the mission of God. But is it possible that Jesus just practically asked the disciples for help because it would be 12 times faster if 12 other people were helping than just him passing it out? And my answer to that is, yeah, that's exactly true also. But that's precisely why it's also his plan for discipleship. I want us to see that if Jesus were to feed the 5,000 himself, it would have taken at least 12 times as long. Because they took it and passed it out to each individual person. And if Jesus was just to feed them, he could have two options. He could have just, poof, put bread all in front of them, which he didn't do that. Or he could have individually handed out himself. Or, third option, he could have given to his disciples the handout. Now, just putting it, poof, in front of everybody would have been the quickest way. But that's not how he works with his creation. 
He doesn't just automatically just make us believers without hearing the gospel. But no, we, we got to hear the gospel in order to receive it. He could have, but he chose not to. And so instead of him doing it himself, because here's the thing, Jesus is the greatest preacher of all time. But his mission was not to build a, the biggest stadium to put everybody in it for them to hear the gospel. His plan was, I'm going to give the gospel to some disciples who are going to then go and feed the people. And what does he do? His vision to feed the masses is through the, through the disciples, is through the man, man, mankind. Don't, I'm not trying to be intentional with the, the gender of that, just mankind. That through the person that he took and he invested into them and equipped them to lastly to reach or feed the masses. Jesus saw the masses through the man and equipped the man to reach the masses. What happened? The disciples took these baskets full of bread and they went and passed it out to everybody there. Jesus saw the masses through the man and equipped the man to reach the masses. grateful, I'm trying to think about you know, exactly how I want to say this, I'm grateful to be living in New York City. I'm grateful just to be alive in general. I'm grateful for God's grace in my life. But I'm grateful that he's called me to New York City. Because I look at New York City and I see 2.4 million people in Queens, 8 plus million people in the five boroughs, and 22 million people in the surrounding areas total. I'm grateful that he's placed me here. And I look at all those people, and I, what do I see? I see the masses. And what I see is I see, hopefully with the lens of Jesus, and I see a lot of people who are like sheep without a shepherd, who are in desperate need of Jesus. And it can be a little overwhelming. It can, I can look at that and go, how am I as a pastor, and how are we as a church going to make an impact in that amount of people? It's almost overwhelming. But Jesus saw the masses and he understood that if I see the masses through each individual disciple and then I equip each individual disciple to then go reach the masses, I can feed these people. I can feed these people. It's going to take some time. And, and commentators estimate it took two hours for these 12 men to pass out that food. Two hours. Now remember, they're exhausted to begin with. They, they came to there to get a vacation and rest and now they're working. Right? All of us know what that feels like in ministry or just in life in general when we need rest and here we are working. But he decided, I'm going to feed the people through the masses. Or excuse me, feed the masses through the man. So one of the things, if you're, this is your first time here, um, so grateful you're here. If this is not your first time here, you know that what you see around you is new. That these banners, this is the first Sunday that they've been here. That this is a new logo, we have a new mission statement, and I want to talk about that for a second. So these, I'll explain these banners for a second, they're intentional. These banners over here are our mission statement, and if you've got the handout at the bottom of the handout, or even on your bulletin, hopefully you see this everywhere, and if so, that means we've done our job, but this mission statement at the bottom, we exist to engage our city with the love of Jesus one relationship at a time. This is New Hope's new mission statement, and you're going to get sick of hearing me say it. I promise. But let me, before I explain that, let me just kind of say one more thing. We exist to glorify God and make disciples, right? I need you to hear me say that first, that we exist to glorify God and make disciples. And that is a great mission statement. However, that mission statement isn't overly practical at times. 
And I believe that that statement, we exist to glorify God and make disciples, is true for every single church. However, I also believe that every individual church is like individual people with different personalities and different giftings. Therefore, New Hope is going to be called by God to do something unique and different than the other church down the street. Right? So, this mission statement, engaging our city with the love of Jesus, one relationship at a time, is our unique mission statement. And it's our unique practical way. So let me explain it. Engaging our city. That's what these three banners are. Engaging our city. This is our seeing the masses. That when we look at New York City, when I look at Queens, when I just look at Jamaica or Briarwood, whatever you want to say, I just look at the campus of St. John's, I see a mass amount of people that are in desperate need of Jesus Christ. Queens, 2.4 million people, 96% of those 2.4 million people claim no affiliation to Jesus whatsoever. It's a large amount of people that need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. This is a mass amount of people. Now, Jesus, when he fed the feeding of the 5,000, what did he feed them with? He gave them something. He gave them bread. And we understand from John chapter 6, telling of the story, that that bread was a picture of Jesus being the eternal food for uh, mankind, that he was that eternal bread of life. And so when we see the masses, what are we feeding them with? We're feeding them with the love of Jesus. We're feeding them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not just feeding them with a, a good story, if you will, but we're feeding them with this promise and this truth that although you and I are dead in our trespasses and sin apart from Christ. Guys, listen to me. We are not here to say we're better than anybody. I know me, and I know my sin, and my sin is depraved, and I am depraved, and I understand that my sin has separated me from Christ, but I also know the gravity of my sin that then allows me to understand the gravity of God's love for me. The the greater I understand my sin, the greater I understand the grace and love of Jesus Christ, and this grace and love is that although he fully knows me, he fully loves me. That although that he knows everything about me, he still wants me. Take a moment and just think about the things that no one knows about you. And what it would be like for you, literally, to look at another human in the face that you love and care about. Tell them everything. I mean, absolutely. The things that if they were put on billboards, you would hide and never show your face again. Whatever it is, if you were to tell that to someone. And then that person looks at you and go, I love you, still accept you, and care for you. Imagine how you'd feel in that moment. Listen to me. Jesus knows everything about us, but still loves us. And when we look out at the city around us, practically speaking, our city needs a lot of things. And we need a lot of things. But our city needs the love of Jesus. And only people who've experienced the love of Jesus can communicate the love of Jesus to others. And so for us, we're engaging our city with the content, which is the love of Jesus. And how are we doing it? One relationship at a time. This is our man in the story. Jesus saw the masses through the man, through each individual person, each one of his disciples. Then he equipped that individual person to turn around and reach the masses. One relationship at a time. It didn't take long for my wife and I living in New York City to realize That despite the fact that there are millions of people around us, there are a whole lot of isolated living going on. I mean, there's a lot of people that live isolated lives looking for community. 
depending on the generation that you are, the, the TV sitcom might be a different one that come to mind. But for me, it was the TV show Friends. It was a TV show that gave this picture of six people in a coffee shop, Starbucks, congratulations, this TV show just made you billions of dollars because now people are trying to mimic this TV show in Starbucks and other coffee shops. But what was it? It was a TV show of six friends who had problems and had mistakes but always were there for one another. They lived life together. And whether it's a different TV show, Cheers, or something else, that Hollywood and the world is longing for that, that, that we will watch it and try to replicate it. But the reality is, is most people are still living pretty isolated lives, extremely isolated lives, longing for community, longing for relationships. This was, I, in my opinion, was the greatest need that I see within our community. But then when I look at New Hope, one of the greatest things that I think giftings that New Hope has is hospitality, community, and relationships. Uh, Last week when Param preached, he had some friends from class come and listen to him preach. Just so happens this past week, right after that, Monday through Friday, Param and I took a class together that a bunch of the students that came here last Sunday night were also in that class. And so I'm talking to them on Monday and Tuesday And time after time, someone would come up to me from that class and tell me a story of someone they met while they were here. Uh, They would tell me a story of how people here loved on them and cared for them and welcomed them into community. One lady told me this story that she was walking up, and uh, it was the first time here, and and, uh, like I said, she was coming to see prom, and she wasn't sure if she was at the right building, and so it was obvious that she was trying to figure it out on the outside, and here comes Renee. Right, Renee comes along like, are you looking for New Hope? Like, yeah, I think so. I'm not sure where they're meeting. And she said, her exact words, he just pulled me. She said, he just pulled me right on in and just walked me and showed me everything. And I just felt so welcome. Loving, I mean, living here, uh, the thing that Jen and I love so much about New York is New Hope. We love how you love on us. We love that although we are your pastor, I'm your pastor, that, that you love me like family and you treat me like family. And the best part about it is you don't just do that for me because I'm your pastor. I have the privilege of watching you do that for others. So Frederick Buechner said that your mission is where the world's greatest need meets your greatest passion. And so for us, we believe that's relationships. That we believe that, that we're unique, that new hope is unique in the hospitality. New hope's unique that in our 94 members, we have 24 different countries represented. We're unique that anybody can come and any background and can find somebody that is like them, so to speak, that they feel comfortable with, that maybe speak their same language or have a similar background or have a similar job or live in a similar neighborhood, whatever it may be. They can come into New Hope, find community, find comfortability. They can find home. So, of course, the answer is Jesus. But more practically speaking, for us, our gifting is relationships. We're not trying to reproduce what other churches are doing. We're trying to do what we do. We're trying to be who God has created us to be. And I believe that's relationships. And so for us, as we think about relationships, relationships, every single relationship matters. Let me say it this way. When I think about engaging our city, when I think about the masses, and I think about this call to make disciples of all nations, for the longest time, I bear or I carry this burden thinking that I, I, Jonathan, was responsible for reaching millions of people. And I used to think that I've got to go to all these nations and I've got to preach the gospel to all these nations. 
And I just remember one, one day, I don't, I don't remember exactly what I was reading, but I was reading scripture, and I, the Lord just spoke into my heart and said, Jonathan, I'm not calling you to reach the nation. I just remember him saying, I'll reach the nations. I'm not calling you to reach the nations. I'm calling the church to reach the nations as a whole. But I'm just asking you as an individual, would you just reach the people you know? Would you just, you're, you're so focused on the nations that you're missing your neighbor right next to you. Would you just focus on the people you know? And what would it look like if every believer, every follower of Jesus would just love on the people they know and then watch all that just networking go out? I'm pretty confident the world would, would hear the gospel if we just all actually share the gospel with the people we know. Every relationship matters. You guys know me that I've given this illustration before that I'm so OCD and detailed if you were to look at my calendar, I have everything in my calendar scheduled out for weeks to come. I, I schedule when I read. I schedule when I do uh, scripture memorization. I schedule it all. Like, if you looked at my calendar for the first three hours of every day, I got, like, these 15-minute slots, study, or, like, study flashcards here. and do, I, Like, I schedule it all out because I'm organized and I make sure I'm not wasteful. Well, with that type of personality, when things come into your schedule that are unplanned, they can be, have a tendency to be uh, looked at as interruptions. They can. And so for many years, I would be OCD when interruptions came to my schedule, and they often came in the form of people, and uh, people just knocking on my office or doing something, and I... And, I used to, in my pride, I used to be like, oh, I don't have, I, I, I'm supposed to be busy doing something right now or whatever. And the Lord had to break me to show me, Jonathan, you and your OCDness think things have to be a certain way. And you see things as interruptions, but actually they're divine appointments and they matter. My life forever changed because I understood that what seems like an interruption maybe on the subway or seems like an interruption here or there are actually God's sovereignty to put people in my place so I can show them the love of Jesus. And the same is true for you. So who is it? That tomorrow, I pray that you would engage by simply one, every single relationship, one relationship at a time. And I believe it would, as we focus on each individual person in our lives, the masses will get reached. Because in the same way, Jesus invested in 12 and empowered the 12 to reach the masses. The same way, when I look at New Hope and I look at this city, I believe that as he equips us, that he looks on this city and has compassion. And so do we. But then as he equips us to reach the masses, the kingdom of God will be advanced, which is why this series is called Kingdom Come. This is not about us. This is about our mission and going, how do we see God's kingdom be advanced through us, a, a people called New Hope? Do you have compassion on the city? I oftentimes feel like I'm like, the disciples who I get there and I see this crowd of people and I'm just like, man, there's so many people. I just want to go take a nap. I just want to go do something else. But I want, you, I want us to see something. We'll never begin to engage the city if our response doesn't turn to compassion for the city. And that's something the Holy Spirit does in you. And I pray that you would be like Jesus and not like the disciples. I pray that you would see a crowd even when you were not expecting the crowd. I pray that you would see each individual, you would see the masses, and not just be 
the massive group amount of people aren't just a headache that are on your way, or they're in your way on the subway, and that they're taking up your seat, or there are all these other things, or they're honking at you, or taking your parking spot, or, or all these other things that sometimes negatively come to my mind about the mass amount of people in the city, but instead, we'd see and go, that just means there's this much more people that are in close proximity to me, therefore I can share the gospel with them. And so do you have compassion for this city? Do you have compassion for your neighbors? Do you just have compassion for others in general? Because they are all like sheep without a shepherd. Let us be a people who engage our city with the love of Jesus, one relationship at a time. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you uh, for your goodness, the fact that you have shown your love to us. We are so grateful that you have poured out your love on me and on this church. And Father, first I speak to those in here that, that right now are the spiritually hungry. Would you hear me say that we, we do not believe that, that coming to church and, you know, necessarily thinking a certain way or whatever is, is what we're all about or is what makes you a Christian. But would you see that what we believe is that nothing in us, in and of ourselves, makes us worthy to be a followers of Jesus. That I, I'll be the first to admit that I'm far from perfect. But I understand my sin. I understand that my sin hurt God and rebelled against Him. But He loved me so much. He loved you so much that He pursued us like sheep without a shepherd and He is our good shepherd and he came and he died on the cross to give us life that he calls us to to turn to him to repent from this world repent from sin and just turn and worship him maybe you're in here today tonight for the first time and you just need and maybe you hear him calling you unto himself would you turn to Jesus in salvation nothing I offer you in of of new hope or or myself is of any use except for Jesus. Jesus is everything. And we're here to proclaim him and to lift him high. Would you give your life to Jesus tonight? If you've got questions about that or want to talk more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, I'd love to talk to you after service. Just come and ask. I'd love to, to share with you and have a conversation. For the rest of us that are, we call ourselves followers of Jesus, that he sees the mass amount of people in New York City and has compassion on them, that they're spiritually hungry, and he's calling you to feed them. But you're not going to feed them with your best effort. You're going to feed them with what he gives you. And what he gives you is himself. He is that bread. He will equip you to this call. He will fill you. And in the same way that each disciple, the passage ends Mark 6, that there are 12 baskets full of bread left. Why 12 baskets? Clearly, I believe Jesus was communicating to his disciples, you will be on ministry and you'll be on mission and you'll give and you'll give and you'll give and you'll give, but if you stay connected to me, your basket will always be full. And so in the same way, would you continue to to abide in Christ, worship Christ, surrender to him, allow him to fill you with the content of his love to engage our city with, with every relationship in your life, one relationship.
relationship at a time. Just stand with me as we just take an opportunity just to sing and worship to Jesus.